Welcome to this week's episode of Quiddity on the Circe Podcast Network, where we engage in the classical spirit of inquiry. I'm your guide, Brandon LeBlanc. This episode is part one of a conversation between Matthew Bianco and Katerina Kern on the Ideal School, and it is brought to you by the Circe Atrium. The Atrium is a dynamic online community where you can explore the foundations of classical education. Choose from one of four courses that combine online instruction and group discussions, or go big and sign up for multiple courses. A frequent contributor on our podcast, The Plays a Thing, and one of the few people I know who loves the histories best, Heidi White will be leading our atrium on Shakespeare. Including a close read of one comedy, one tragedy, and one history, as well as several sonnets, this course is a well-rounded curriculum on learning, loving, and teaching the bard. David Hicks' Norms and Nobility has influenced the Circe Institute since its inception, and is in many ways the impetus behind the Quiddity Podcast. It is a book that deepens with multiple reads and communal contemplation. Tanya Rosell has spent years reading, studying, and discussing this seminal work in the classical renewal. Join Tanya and other fellow educators for this deep dive into David's cistern. Dr. Matthew Bianco spent years with Plato's dialogues for his dissertation, and far from being burned out, he longs for you to love them as he does. In this course, he will lead us on the path of the ancient and early medieval teachers into the ten essential dialogues that are key to understanding all of Plato's works, and more importantly, to know and understand ourselves and the world we live in. Kristen Rudd hated the Divine Comedy until she loved it. In fact, she loved it so much that she started the 100 Days of Dante Facebook group to help others read it and love it too. In the comedy, Dante is guided by Virgil through hell and purgatory and by Beatrice through paradise. Kristen is ready to guide you through Dante so that you can learn to love it and share that love with others. Go to circeinstitute.org backslash atrium to see more about these courses, including short videos from the instructors. And now let's get to Matthew and Katerina for part one of The Ideal School. Today we're here at the Circe Institute, but we're actually at the Circe Apprenticeship. This week we are out on this teacher training program where Mr. Mafianco is the head leader and I'm one of the students here. So because we were here at this retreat anyway, learning all about teaching, we decided to record from here. So thanks for joining us today as we partake on another journey of questioning. Although this time, Matt's gonna ask the question. Yeah, because we're going to do something a little bit different, I guess, than we have done for the first yeah. several episodes. So this will be another two-parter, basically. Yep. And we both have ideas for what the ideal school would look like. And so rather than one of us putting out some principle that makes the school an a school an ideal school and then the other one saying no no that's not the right principle this is the right principle right and going back and forth like that hire someone else yeah okay. instead of like turning it into a kind of debate about it what we decided was what if in one episode katarina just presents her entire picture mm-hmm. and then in, an, in another episode i would present my entire picture and then you all can be the judge through your comments or whatever to let everybody know that my school is the ideal school and Katie's is a close second. I don't know who Katie is, but Kat, I sorry, think Katarina that is a close <laughs> I think that Katarina's school is going to get a lot of votes, but we'll see. So, so leave in your comments what you think of the school. Would you send your kids there? That's the question. Yeah. If it existed, the problem might be that it can't exist. I think it's too ideal. Too ideal. That's very, very likely. I mean, so far, that's been the reality because we've been talking about creating our own ideal school for seven years, eight years, mm-hmm. to the point that we've laid out a lot of it on paper. And it seems to be too idealistic 
to exist in this world. So instead, we're making YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out the metaverse is where anything can live. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know what the exact best way of starting this out is. Like, I could just say like, what is the ideal school? But you know, there's been there's <laughs> that. Like, um, so what if I ask it this way? And if you don't like it, you can you can tell me otherwise. Okay. Um, what aspect of the school would you focus on first? Ooh. For in the creation of it. In the creation of it. Thank you. That's helpful. I would start by establishing the goals and making sure that every aspect of the school was directed toward that. So the goals for my ideal school would be to nourish the whole child. And people say that all the time. So more specifically, to to rate, to feed the child, to, to I guess, nourish is the, the right word for that. Um, the true, the good, the beautiful, the excellent, praiseworthy things, the things that we want them to be imitating. But that's, that's really the way to the end. Um, but making sure that the students, by the time they leave, have had every opportunity to grow in virtue, in knowledge, in excellence, in character, um, to know the world that they're going to enter into and to be able to find their place in it, even if they don't yet know their place, to have the tools that they need to find their place in the world, which would first mean respecting all others in their places in the world. So it would have to both be very communal and focus on the community and the engagement in the community. That would have to be really fundamental if we're going to develop virtue in the students. But then it would also have to be in some aspect aware of the whole world and humanity from the beginning of time and aware of the great tradition and where we now at this point in time and in this place fit within this much broader picture of all of humanity. So it's really quite vast. That's where I'd start. Uh, yeah. Probably <laughs> the groundwork. It's quite vast. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this is this is what's interesting about it is that in some ways it's I think what all schools want to be doing. Yeah. And kind of say they are doing or wanting to do, right? I think so. So if, if there's there's um not as much of a differentiation at the level of the goals. Yeah. Right. So your school to be an ideal, otherwise the ideal already exists, mm -hmm. has to be, has to differentiate itself at somewhere else. Cause it's not at the goals level of the goals. Right. So would you, where would you start for your biggest differentiator? Oh, right. Okay. Like, yeah. Are you about the right. curriculum, right. The, the teachers, the, the, all the modes, the all teaching, the pedagogy? All of it. All of those are different than every other school? Not than every other school, but every area would be different from any school I've ever encountered. Not completely different. I think there's something good in every school I've ever worked in or encountered, but so there's something good to take from all of all right, so, so I'm walking yeah, up to your, really your school can. exists. Yeah. And I, the only thing I know so far is that it does not exist hidden away in some mountain that nobody has access to or in a desert because it's yeah. communal. Yeah. Right. So it's near a community. It's in the woods. But yeah. But near like a town or, or yeah. a village. Or I, a city I, I, or yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I know that much. Yep. 
So I'm walking up to your school. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, what's the first thing I'm going to do? The physical expression of the school. Perfect. Okay. So the actual school is on a farm. And the first thing that you would probably notice is all the farm animals because the school is designed in a circle, like concentric circles, moving inward. So in the very center is a tree. And then, yes. Is it called the tree of life? (laughs) Yes. Or the tree of knowledge? (laughs) Oh, the tree of life. Um, There's a tree in the center and then there's water around that area. I'm imagining it being a garden. There's like a controlled garden in the center. And then after that, there's another ring of outside classes. So they're kind of, you know, as the circle goes out, they're going to be in like, you know, those mazes that, that are circular. doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So there's like, you know, four or five curved outdoor classes, um, classrooms, which would just be a roof. It's basically it. And then, um, oh, that's what you mean by outdoor. Like they're literally, there's, yeah, not, like there's, not wall, there's, there's, um, pillars and a roof. Okay. So they're kind of modeled on the Roman, a Roman house, a Roman country house. Um, but also on a monastery, it's more modeled after a medieval monastery because they were really designed for contemplation. So the gardens, we can get into this more, but the gardens would be specifically designed for contemplation and memorization. And also for the children to grow their own food for them to eat and to tend to. Um, So the gardens are absolutely essential. Um, There's no negotiating the gardens. Then the classrooms, for the the outside classrooms. Then there would be another layer out for in case it rains, there would be some form of inside classroom. Then on the next layer out, there would be fields for assorted types of training. So gymnastics, sports, Outdoor fencing. fencing, sure. Really? I mean, that would be amazing. I don't, but it's ideal. So yeah, I was gonna say I don't know if I can find a teacher that knows. Fencing. I know a fencing instructor. Oh. So maybe it's real. Great. Okay, we'll get that in. Um, this is this like I'm I'm open to changing some of this. Like there are the non-negotiables and the negotiables, and the exact layer of what comes next is somewhat negotiable. There might be some room. That's helpful then to distinguish too like when you say something that's a non-negotiable mm-hmm. like this is essential to it being the ideal school. yes and then some things where it's like well you know it kind of depends on yeah so yeah because so there has to be a form that too as you're going okay away. Yeah. okay yeah there has to be a form there has to be a structure so the gardens are non-negotiable outside classrooms are non-negotiable um the next layer outwards is so we move from order and the very structured order at the level of the garden out into chaos so that the last ring is still fenced in so this isn't chaos but it's moving in that direction the last ring is things like cows and horses and goats and other farm animals that need care but they need more land they need to roam and they're more unpredictable than vegetation good yes yes they're more unpredictable they're more dangerous so as you move further away from the tree in the center you move gradually into more danger more chaos which i think this is the nature of reality so i think it's important 
that the school models the nature of reality. Mm. So children, every time they come into the school, they're leaving the world outside, which is the possible realm of chaos, where they're going to have to go when they leave the school, right? We're preparing them for the world outside the school. That's the whole point. So every time they come in, they experience that transition from the wild, unpredictable, you know, you're driving in your car, you could get hit, you can die on your way to school. That's the world. And then you transition gradually from wild into more and more order. And so that's the physical space and how the physical space would be different. Now, the, the facilities themselves with the classrooms and everything, is that, so what's the whole, the, how big is the whole property? Or approximately, if it doesn't matter. I'm horrible with space, but long enough for trail rides on horses. So what would that be like? 100 feet. <laughs> Like 50 to 100 acres? I probably, I don't know, yeah. Probably? I don't, I don't so know. So if we say 100 spatial, acres. Let's say. But this is, the 100 acre this is not, not, this is not an essential. I mean, the, yeah. that it's big is essential. Yeah. It's negotiable, like, the exact number of acres. Yeah. So the number of acres isn't part of the equation for how it reflects reality. I don't think so. Okay. So if you have this, is it like 100 acres? square rectangle whatever and then the, the physical facilities the buildings are those in the very center of that are they in a corner well they're they're in that section that i described so like you've got the the garden the tree the garden the outside and then the next layer out is the inside so it's still just the circle like a medieval monastery wait so the whole 100 acres is inside of that well no it, it it's it's like the farm animals are on the outside that's the home. Well, yeah. I guess the trail. Is the, the circle here, the or is the circle here, in the corner of the? I picture it in the, in middle. the middle. It doesn't have okay. to be precisely in yeah. the middle, but I picture it around the middle. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So then, then, so the, so I walk up to the school. This You'd is, hopefully drive. It would take a while if you walk. You could walk. Okay, I walk up from the parking lot. Up yeah. to the school, <laughs> okay. And I'm approaching the building, so I pass all these these pass the trails and farmland and yeah. animals, and then I walk up, I park, and I go up toward the facility. Yeah. So I encounter these concentric rings. Yeah. So I walk up to a classroom. Maybe. Okay. Are you wondering where the kids are? Well, I, I know them because I just assumed they were in a classroom. That was a faulty oh. assumption. Well, then I stand corrected. I'm sitting <laughs> and I'm corrected. Where am I? Okay, so I walk up to a classroom. No, so then answer the question. I walk up to a classroom. What do I see? No students. Why? You might see no students or you might see students. Okay. Um, you probably would have seen students, ideally, the whole way driving in. There are probably some students taking care of the animals, depending on the time of the day. If the animals needed to be cared for, it's the students caring for them. Um, so, yeah, depending on the time of day, you would probably see students somewhere along there. I would hope you would see students journaling, nature journaling outside, walking the trails in their memory garden, memorizing content, preparing lunch. They might be cooking the lunch. Um, they might be weeding. They might be um, you might see them sitting in a classroom but i don't want the classrooms to be the place of learning in the sense that you think of all learning as happening in this one space i think that's really problematic learning and knowledge and school should be every moment of your whole life so i think that when we have one classroom that kids go to and they think that when they enter this room the learning begins i think that tells them not to learn outside of it so as much as is possible, that room is there for when they need 
they need to gravitate somewhere. And that's a, that's the teacher's discretion to figure out when that needs to happen. So there would have to be very wise, knowledgeable teachers in every classroom. Otherwise, it's, so it's a sunny day. I yeah. walk up. I come to the classroom. There's probably not anybody there. Probably I not. probably passed them all out. In the you probably house. did. Now, so in, in one sense, the way you described it, what I would see as I drove up, made me, I, in my head, I imagined... And therefore, I assume that somebody else, at least one other person is imagining the same thing as I am, okay. that they're off like individually doing that. Oh. So like there's one kid milking the cow, one kid brushing the horses, one kid weeding the broccoli patch, whatever. <laughs> broccoli uh, patch. And then sure. one kid journaling and then one kid. Uh, but then, but then there's another like part them. of me where I was like, I imagined it as like this kind of hippie our commune where there's just a bunch of people with easels just painting <laughs> the tree, you know. Oh, that's funny. I think so you're wondering if they're working together, how the lessons yeah, are. Yeah, they're less they're, yeah, doing lessons. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, there's certainly a teacher. I I think there could be time when the in the teacher would have to modulate to the class. Is the class independent enough to send them off and do various things? Um I think there could be times when the kids scatter, but that would be really rare. I think the teacher is going to be with them teaching whatever lessons need to be taught in a holistic, we're outside, we're learning with hands-on experience, and maybe we're walking around like Aristotle and his followers, and we're, and we're having this discussion as we walk the trails, or maybe we're reading literature outside under a tree. You know, there's a lot of diversity for ways that we can be all over the grounds, mm. but whatever fits the lesson. And again, the teachers just have to be really wise and discerning. They have to know where are my students going to best learn the lesson that I need to teach them right now. Okay. So it's a rainy day. Okay. And I walk up. So I, presumably they're in a classroom because they're being protected from the elements. They could be in a classroom. They could also be in the chapel. They're, they'll probably be in the chapel morning and evening, so the, the day would be good and end there. Um, so it's possible that you'd be there, depending on what time you show up. Yeah, they, they they could be in their classroom. They could be in another student's classroom. It also might be relevant for me to say that children aren't divided up by age. So oh, you don't okay. have, like, well, third good. graders with third graders and fourth graders with fourth graders. It would be you've got a group of 12 to 15 kids between... I might divide it up like first to seventh grade and then eighth to twelfth grade in a class. I'm considering doing first grade to twelfth grade in one class. And then you would just have, I mean, theoretically, then you could have as many kids enrolled as teachers. So you would just need a new classroom for every time you got a new group of 12 to 15 kids and a new teacher who could walk all of them through. And then, of course, the older kids would help teach the younger kids. Of course. I would assume that's assumed in this in this model. It's like a combination of one one room schoolhouses in a sense, just like a lot of them together. So what? How long is the day? Wait, yeah. are these kids busing in? Are they parents dropping them off? Or are I'm they not sure. There? Is it a boarding school? I th I think there would be an option for it to be a boarding school and an option for parents to drop off their children. I think this one is really hard because students who go to boarding school tend to be have different backgrounds sometimes in America. Like if this were in England, it would be a lot easier to just say, Oh yeah, we're going to have both and everything's going to be fine. Um, but in America, because of the relationship to boarding schools here, I think there would be 
issues that we'd have to prepare for, um, which I think that we would be prepared to do that because the whole point of the school, and now I'm sharing my assumptions, but the whole point of the school is healing. It's, it's to, to connect the students to the earth, to connect the students to the rhythms and the habits and the liturgies of, of nature, to come back to mother nature and to align ourselves to something bigger than us. So, which is like human existence. That's what we're all supposed to be doing all the time. Um, so it's just asking the child to do that. Um, so thinking about all the different ways that a child interacts with the world and, and being intentional about each one, like eating. When we eat, we become what we eat. And this is a, a very fundamental way that every child absorbs their environment into them. So being really intentional, aware about what they're eating and letting it be something that they have nurtured. They have, they have even reviewed their lessons. They have prayed while they're working in the garden and then they've eaten that food and it's nourishing their bodies, like on every level, being aware of what the child is taking into itself and being really intentional and careful about what those things are. Um, so to your question about the length of the school day, I would think it's really important and obviously these things can't be controlled. If it were a boarding school, it would be rise with the sun, go to bed with the sun. And then throughout the day, you would have these rhythms that you follow. Mm -hmm. So consistent morning time prayer, evening prayer, um, afternoon walk, afternoon tea. And then, and then nature dictates the liturgy of the schedule. Like we don't need to create an artificial schedule and impose it on the children thereby saying, hey, children, you don't need to live your life according to reality and nature. Live your life according to this construct we've created as a school, which is entirely arbitrary because it changes from year to year. But instead saying, oh, well, I have to milk the cow at X time a.m. because that's when the cow is asking to be milked. Mm -hmm. And then I have to go to bed when the sun sets because that's the time the sun sets. And like, these are just nature's telling me when I'm supposed to do things and living according to that. So most of the schedule of the day would play out really organically, just living according to nature. But now that I think about it, I don't remember what your question was. <laughs> Should I answer your question? Well, how long the day is? Because if, if how long the it day begins is? and ends with chapel, I don't know how long chapel is, but I imagine it's not like three minutes. So there's yeah. a significant chunk of the... Yeah, but the day, what do you mean by the day? Like what? waking time? You mean the school day? Well, you, well, that's what you said. You said the day begins and ends with the chapel, so I'm just using your what okay. you said. Okay, okay. So okay. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know what I thought you meant, but I just... No, that's good. That's good. That you, yeah. You that was, yeah. So what did you mean? Yeah, I, I mean, I was thinking about it in terms of the times in which the children who are not boarding school children would need to be in, there. But that doesn't mean that, like, I don't think about those times. Let's say it's, I don't know, eight to five or nine to five. I don't think about those times as the school day because in there you'd have free time. You'd have your walk in the woods time. You'd have your sports time. I mean, kids typically go to school from, what, eight to four because they do sports afterwards. Uh. Uh, probably, yeah. I don't know. I don't when know. I've taught at schools, they were usually at the school from 7.30 to 4.30. That was typically my schedule as a teacher, like watching students on campus. 
So I think it's reasonable to think like eight to five because in there you've got all of these activities and it's not like, here's your learning time. You're in the classroom, you're learning. Here's your recess. It's a completely separate thing from learning. Mm -hmm. And then here's your sports. That's a completely separate thing from learning too. It wouldn't be like that. Like everything is just interspersed and you're just constantly nourishing all the aspects of the child. Mind, body, spirit. So it's always mind, body, spirit. How do we attend to the mind, body, and spirit? Um, okay, so what what role, what, how are books coming into this or curriculum? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, yeah. much of what you already described is curricular. Yeah, right, so, right. So, but there's some sort of book aspect to it, right, that's being added to the curriculum or no? Yes, yes. Yeah, so do you mean textbook? I don't Okay. Okay. At your ideal question. school, I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, you're right. You're I, mean, right. I would never put a textbook in my yeah. ideal school, but there's we're not none. talking about my ideal school. We're there's no textbook. textbook. Zero textbook. Unless you got Euclid as a textbook, then there's a textbook. Oh, you're right. I have Euclid. No, there's no textbooks. It would they, the students would be learning the seven liberal arts and the four sciences. Um, on it's the teacher is the textbook. The teacher knows the content and is going to teach it to the children in the most appropriate way. Now, in terms of what that means, it's artifacts. So they're going to be reading the great books. They're going to be, you know, reading epic poetry and um, Euclid's geometry and the the, the texts of history that have brought human greatness to the forefront. The the excellent works of humanity are going to be looked at. Um, But all artifacts of humanity, right? We're going to look at great art. We're going to listen to great music. We're going to um, art and music. Solve great math problems. We're going to solve great math problems. Um, The kids will do arithmetic, geometry, and harmonia every single day. So the whole, the seven liberal arts will be practiced every day. So that means that there's going to be hand-on manipulatives where they're trying to understand shapes and numbers in relation to 2D and three-dimensional realities, which is geometry. So there will be very solid foundation in math. And I think there's this misconception in classical education that's completely false, that we don't focus on the maths and sciences, which maybe I shouldn't say that's not completely false. Classical education does not tell people not to do math and science. However, in practice, a lot of people who love classical education don't love the maths and sciences, so it just kind of is not emphasized, but there would be a huge emphasis. It would be just as important as the trivium, grammar, logic, and rhetoric. So um, the students would be every day looking at the natural physical world, trying to understand it, doing experiments, asking great questions. And that might be another major difference is instead of having separate subjects where you move from one subject to the next you'd have questions that you're trying to answer so each group again maybe first to seventh grade and then eighth to twelfth grade would together decide what questions through the guide through the teacher as the guide decide what questions they want to answer and probably it would be like a monthly thing like a one question per month and it might be something really big like what is justice or what is virtue or what is love or it could be something more specific, like what is water, right? Depend, like the elementary school kids might ask something more simple like that. And then the teacher- like What is a hole? That's a pretty simple sure, question. Sure, what is a hole? But- oh, Some big philosopher for- Yeah, how do we 
conceptualize oneness. Um, so the students ask these questions with the teacher as the guide directing them towards useful questions. And then the teacher uses the seven liberal arts to answer those questions. So when they're outside learning or when they're in their classroom learning, they're learning for a purpose. They're learning to answer this question. What is reality? What is nature? What is man? What is virtue? And they're going out and they're, they're testing their ideas against reality to try and come up with this, the answer to their question. So, okay, so then if I, if I summarize back what I think okay. you're saying, right? It's, I'm trying to clarify the essentials versus the negotiables. Sure. Um, so what, what I've gathered so far is that what's essential is that the artifacts we're looking at are the great artifacts, yeah, the, excellencies, the yeah. excellencies, right? Yeah. And then what's essential is that um, the the mode of questioning or the kinds of questions that are being asked are um, are essential. Like you, you're identifying these kind of essential questions, um, like what is love or virtue or whatever. And all or study. Whatever, but yeah. And then and then that those questions are serving as a means of kind of unifying yeah. everything else that they're doing, right? Whatever book they're reading, whatever music they're listening to, whatever artifact art. Uh, artwork they're looking at, whatever cow they're milking, what, yep. all of that is being unified by these kind of these questions that are coming up throughout the year. Precisely. Okay. Precisely. So then, so then, is it is the art is the the essentialness of the texts or the artifacts rather that you're looking at or, or listening to you're perceiving mm -hmm. are those is that the the only re, the only like real limitation is that they're excellent oh. and that they that they fit into uh, that they that they are they are perceivable by one of the seven liberal art one or more of the seven liberal arts or um which i'm not really sure what artifact wouldn't fall into yeah that's what i'm like what wouldn't as I, after i said it, i was like that's everything yeah. <laughs> so is it just that they're excellent and then and then they serve training the liberal arts in some they're way? either work or, <laughs> or is there some sense in which, like, no, no, it has to be Euclid, it has to be Homer, it has to be Aristotle. It has oh, to be Euclid, do I have it any non-negotiable text? Yeah, yeah, like okay. these particular ones must be included. I see. And then, and only them, or these must be included, and then the teachers have discretion. Okay, great question. Thank you for asking that. So, starting in first grade or kindergarten, whatever, however young this begins, all the texts are the same. Like there's not going to be kitty books and grown up books. It, the only thing is, if you're younger, they're read to you. And if you're older, you don't need as you don't need the help reading. Yeah. So there's no like, oh, yeah, when they're little, they're going to be reading these easy books. That's nonsense. Um, sorry, I shouldn't say that's nonsense. That's not how this school will do it. So, yeah, that's so fair. that's fair. Yeah. So the non-negotiables are for every age, again, first grade through 12th grade, they're going to be reading fairy tales, they're going to be reading myths, they're going to be reading fables, those are just across the board, that's going to happen. Um, they're going to be reading the Bible all the time, because as literature, because the Bible teaches you how to read anything. If you can read the Bible, you can read anything, but you have to be able to read it as literature. So they'll be reading the Bible, they'll be reading Homer, yeah, they'll, they'll do Shakespeare, but they'll watch it and they'll perform it. And of course, reading it is involved in watching and performing it because to perform Shakespeare, you have to read it to perform it. 
Um, but there will always be that aspect of theater. Um, I think because I think it's so important for children to participate in the creation of the logos because we don't want to just look at great art and listen to great music and read great books. That's crucial to perceive the logos that somebody else has already perceived, but we also have to allow students to interact and to embody the logos and not just the logos that they've seen. And now they're going to share with us. That's a more advanced thing. The step in between seeing somebody else perceive the logos and create an artifact and seeing the logos ourselves and creating an artifact is coming alongside the author or the creator and co-creating. That's like the bridge to creating yourself. What does that mean? So like Shakespeare is creating the play. He's giving us the words, but then the actors come in and embody the words that Shakespeare provides. So that they're co-creating the play with Shakespeare. Okay. okay. Um, so, so I think theater is the perfect way to invite students into the work of creation, to invite them into the act of embodying the logos. And they can be wrong. And that's what's through this intermediary step yeah. of co-creation. Yes. Okay. okay. And I think I think that theater is really, really valuable for this because the audience can can confirm if you're right or wrong. And not by telling you, but by laughing or not laughing, or you know, you can feel the audience's reaction and that tells you if you're wrong. It's important to know if you're wrong. So I think theater is a really helpful developmental step for children. So they would all be doing that. Um, so those are my non-negotiables. Maybe also Euclid's geometry is a non-negotiable. And then the rest would be up to the teacher because I it would be essential, and this is why the school doesn't exist, to have teachers who are truly masters of the seven liberal arts and four sciences and can come along students ages first grade through 12th grade and help them answer life's biggest questions, like what does it mean to be human? using these great artifacts of mankind. So the rest, I would trust my teachers enough that I would, I would leave the teachers to select the artifacts outside of the Bible, Homer, myths, fairy tales, fables, and Euclid. Um, is there, are there foreign languages involved? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I thought that was, I should have clarified this. <laughs> they, they would also learn to read Homer and Virgil in the original. So they're learning Greek and Latin. Yeah, well, you'd have to because reading English translations just isn't reading the book. Like, it's like, it's just a different thing. So, yeah, they'd have to, they'd have, they'd start in first grade being spoken to in Greek and Latin. Um, and then by whatever age they're ready. So they'll, they'll be hearing it all the time and just obeying commands at the beginning. First grade will just be commands, sit down, go feed the horse, whatever, stop in beating Latin your friend. Yeah, yeah in Latin stop Greek. Stop your friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just the basic command so they don't have to speak back. And then gradually they'll speak back. Um, and then in time, yeah, by the time they're the, – so the baby books will be when Homer and Shakespeare are read aloud to you. That's like, oh, you're such a child. You're listening to Homer in English. And then, you know, when you're a little bit older, you'll read Homer in English. And then when you're a little bit older, like the hard stuff will be reading Homer in the original. And then it'll end with the hardest part, which would be listen, listening to Homer in the original. Because listening is be harder even than when it's the news, when it's a second language, right? It's harder right. to hear it yeah, than it is true. to read it. So Absolutely. usually, yeah. so unless it's Chinese, probably, but 
in the symbol. But. Right. So then at the end, in order to graduate, they have to put on a Greek festival dinner and have a, um, oh my gosh, we're so hurt. <laughs> No. No, the, 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 what Homer, Homer is a bard. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. And they're going to have to know Greek, but I don't have to know the name for a bard. <laughs> I like that my my initial instinct was to name the food that would be at a Greek festival. And you're trying to think of the entertainer's name. Yeah, that's right. So they would, you know, they'd have to at least try their hand at all the arts. They'd have to participate in creating excellent works of mankind because they're about to go serve their community. And they need to sustain and participate in all the best things that humans have to offer. Okay, I have three questions left. Okay. But but obviously, if there's more things that need to be said about your school, you should say them. Oh, there's no grades. That was my one of my questions. Okay. Are there grades? Okay, no, because every child, every day, every child is given something alive to take care of. So when they're really young, it's a plot in the garden. And as they get older, it's more and more wild and dangerous animals. So, like, the, the most wild and dangerous is, like, a cow. So it's not, like... They're not out there taking care of wild boars. I was thinking of a lion or a tiger or something. <laughs> it's not that. It's, it's not like we're not going to get So we're not making the ideal school. We're making this the next one. Elephants. <laughs> Although elephants, yeah, that would be lovely. Um, realistic farm animals. So, so in order... Okay, if the child doesn't care for that living thing, and this is ab- absolutely crucial, no one else can step in and care for it so the thing dies wow even if it's a cow uh, it's essential that you're gonna get dies. lawsuits man but those are the you child's know, coming after I know. you before we even publish this those are the child's grades how alive is the thing that you're meant to care for yeah that's the grade that those are the only grades the child gets i, I mean i love the idea of making a student feel the consequences of his actions and not being protected from them. Um, especially on things getting more and more important, right? As they, as they mature. Uh-huh. I mean, um, if you're starting with a flower, allowing a cow to die is kind of scary. I think it's crucial yeah. because they have to know before they go out into the world, they have to know that their actions have consequences. They have to know that they have to live according Serious to nature. Yeah. That yeah. it's that no one's going to protect them and no one's going to, more importantly, it's not just your mom's not there to keep you safe when you go out into a dangerous world. Even more than that, no one's there to keep the world safe from you. Hmm. And they need to know that yeah, before they good. leave. That's good. Okay. So that was my first question. Yeah, no, great. But yes. lots of feedback, lots and lots of constructive feedback, just not great. Oh, yeah. yeah so yeah, tons yeah. of coaching, yeah, yeah. tons of, hey, here's how you can do better. Sense, right. Of course. But not grades like A, B, C, yeah. or 89, yeah. 99. Right. You just do everything to mastery. Yeah. If you haven't mastered it, you just do it again. And your coach tells you how to do better next time. All right. Question two. Okay. Who's allowed in? Everyone. Anyone who applies. Anyone who wants to go. No interviews, no... No, oh, all they, the only you have to be accepted. No, the only qualification is that they have to sign something with all of our rules. Like you, you know, you take care of a living creature and you um, make your own lunch from the garden that you've grown your food in and you will be respectful. Like you have to sign that you'll be courteous to others, that you'll you'll be courteous to your teacher, all, all of the normals. So if as long as they're willing rules, to agree by uh, they're agreeable to. 
they agree to follow the rules. They sign the something. Standards and submit yeah. to the curriculum and whatever. Then those any of those people are acceptable. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I mean, in signing the rules, they'll also sign something that says if they break these rules, then they they will leave. That is breaking contract. It's a, it's, oh, a, right, it's, a right, faith, right. it's a good faith contract. Um, so you're not looking for like perfect candidates. The, the, child, the perfect candidate is the child who's willing to yes. abide. Got it. Yes. The child that wants to come and is signing that paper is the perfect candidate for yeah. sure. And then the last question is a little bit tougher. Okay. Come on, come at you hard. Okay. What does the ideal graduate look like? Mm, that is, okay. Five, eight, five, nine. Should have started there, eh? Blonde hair, blue eyes. <laughs> when, you, when you said that, I thought you meant Enneagram type. <laughs> I was like, yeah, definitely a five. <laughs> Says the five. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, love them five. Gotta love a good five. My school only accepts sevens. <laughs> I wonder who's a seven here. Um, the ideal graduate could look many different ways. There's a hundred different ways. The ideal graduate is moving towards their direction of being fully themselves. And that means that as they go through the school, they become more and more unique. So it's, it's very hard to say what the ideal graduate is. I can say that I would, I would know the ideal graduate, ideally, by their love for each other, their sense of responsibility in the world, um, the respect that they have for good, true, and beautiful things, the confidence they have in seeking truth, right? That they know that they can find truth. They know that they can recognize it when they see it. They know when someone is lying to them and manipulating them. They know to not hang out with those people. Mm -hmm. um, so would your ideal candidate or your, sorry, your ideal graduate, would he be recognized, he or she be recognized by they were accepted and given a full ride academic scholarship to Harvard? Would they be accepted? Is that what you said? Like, it, would I then be satisfied? Yeah, like, is, is that a part of the equation at all? No. I know who's at Harvard. Oxford. No. <laughs> Oxford's not as bad, but no, no, I think. Are they a politician? I don't care. I mean, I would hope that. A CEO. If they want to be. None of that matters. No. Like you're not, your, your school is not. You come to our school and you're you're gonna be a senator. You come to our school and you're oh, gonna be a, not. No. a Yaler or whatever. Well, I can't make does. that promise because what I'm saying is you come to our school and we'll help you become yourself. So I can't. That's totally out of my control. I have no idea. Maybe this child being the the fullness of themselves means that they're gonna be a mother or a farmer or work at Walmart. Like I have, there's zero control that I ought to have over, over the outcomes in that sense. Yeah. There's like, be. there's like some famous school that I can, of course, can't remember the name of. It's really uh -huh. tiny. And it's like out in like, I don't know, the desert somewhere in America. Okay. And it has like, you know, I don't even know what it is. Like 30 students. Or is this a boys school in Idaho? Somewhere. Yeah. Okay. I think it's a boys school, right? And like 90% of their graduates go on to become senators. Oh, 
just not the sort of thing that you're no. even interested in. Not at all. Like you not wouldn't make all. the promise. No. You wouldn't even think about the promise. I wouldn't care about if it. If your students did or did not do that, it would have. I think it's a suffocating distraction. Yeah. I don't even think it's neutral. I think it's it's a suffocation to think about that. I think that probably especially at that age. Yes. Like your ninth grader is like, you're expecting me to be a senator someday. Like the pressure and right. all that comes along. That's horrifying. Yeah. I think that if a child is reading these texts in the ancient languages and contemplating the nature of reality and and trusting themselves and their ability to find truth, to, t to hold a hypothesis loosely, to test it, to throw everything that they can think of at it and see if it holds. I think that those skills could take them absolutely anywhere. And I, I think it would be very foolish for me to attempt to say where it would take them. Hmm. And I think, yeah. Yeah. Boys and girls? Absolutely. Mixed classes? Very important. Very important. Um, I asked more than three questions, but you know, you're still answering. So I haven't decided on that one. I see a lot of pros and cons for both ways. So maybe we'll have to hash out that question on a so different. So the school is mixed, but possibly a particular class might possibly, be segregated. Possibly. Um, I think that a lot of the issues with mixed gender would be alleviated by not having all the ages together. So I think. And of course, in sports, they'd be separated as well. Wait, oh, they would be alleviated because you would have all the ages together? Sorry, because I'd have like first grade through 12th grade. In so there grade. wouldn't be a classroom with 10 10th graders. Right. And five 10th grade boys and five 10th grade. Like, that's a disaster. Uh, like, so so maybe the problem with mixing boys and girls in the same class, if whatever problems exist because of that, those problems exist because they're all the same age. I think like, if you actually... If you had a kindergarten boy and a first grade girl and a third grade boy and an eighth grade girl, you know, then, okay. Yeah. Okay. In my experience, when I've taught large variety of ages in one class like that, where there weren't a lot of repeat ages, most of the issues that arise by having them all as one gender are alleviated. And most of the time, it's they self-correct better than any other group. Hmm. It's amazing how quickly they self-correct. What else do we need to know? Oh, let's see. Is there Especially essentials, right? We got the curriculum. Does that have to be in a certain state, in a certain country, in a certain climate, in a certain... No. I don't think so. Uh... Any rules about the teachers besides their mastery of the seven liberal arts and the four sciences? Do they have to be older, male, no. female, married, single? Does it matter? I don't think so. I don't think that matters. Yeah, I mean, the the liturgy part is really crucial, that, they, that there would be daily liturgy. So every day, all day long, would follow the same liturgy. Yeah, I think that's the important stuff. Maybe I'll think of something that I've left out, but I can always Sounds throw good. it in somewhere else. Sounds good. Thanks. I would teach there. All right, we'll see if I hire you. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> now you tell us. Yeah, what do you think? Would you go there? Would you send your kid there? Would you teach there? Are you going to apply? Are you going to start a GoFundMe for uh, hey. <laughs> Katarina School so we can get this thing going? Yeah. The only the only problem is I couldn't teach there because I don't speak Latin. I don't speak Greek. I'm on my way to Latin. 
um, but not in speaking it. I need to take, I'm going to take the Latin apprenticeship at Circe, which is a three-year program where you learn to speak it. I'm going to do that before I open this amazing school. And then I'll do the Greek apprenticeship so that I'm fluent in Greek. So it, I'm at least six years out from being able to open it. Yeah. And then I'd like to go get my PhD in there too. So I'm, I'm at you least 12 years out. <laughs> But you can hire people who can do all that. You're right. You can be their boss without being qualified yourself. <laughs> I'll hire people smarter than I am and then uh, tell them what to do. Does it have a name or is that? I, I, I think it's St. Xenia, but it, I don't know. It might be St. Catherine's. Is it's it, probably St. Oh, Catherine's. That, we never said that. Said what? Is it, is it explicit? Is it a Christian school? Is it, yeah. does is it tied to a specific tradition? Does that matter? Do you want to say all that? Do you want to talk about that? Do you want to keep secrets? It is Christian. It would, the chapel and the practices would be Orthodox, but it wouldn't require that students be Orthodox and it would be honoring and respectful to any faith. So there would be space for children to bring their tradition and, you know, share with the group the prayers of their tradition or something or the practices of their tradition but the i think i think it would it would be orthodox when they come together communally to pray i think it would be orthodox prayers i think it would be i think i i don't know i'm leaning towards saint catherine's because she's the patron saint of women scholars but it's also quite overdone is that bad I don't know. I mean, I would never say that, but. <laughs> okay. It's probably bad that I said that. That means you have to put on a moment though, right? I mean, that would be very cool, except it might be hard for the cattle. Yeah. They'd have to only have goats. Like buckets that you wheel them up. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, I think we're done. Yes, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. Let us know your thoughts and stay human. Thank you for joining us on Quiddity as we refreshed ourselves at Cisterns of Learning dug long ago, drawing from springs too deep for taint. Join us next week for part two of this discussion and be sure to check out the other shows on the Cersei Podcast Network.